ComC is your home for buying, selling, and flipping all the hottest trading cards. Their consignment marketplace is home to over 27 million cards across all sports, genres, and eras. With a ComC account, you can purchase cards from different sellers over time and ship them home together later, or immediately reprice them for sale on the ComC marketplace. To stay updated with ComC, please follow them on social media at Check Out My Cards, one word, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To learn about offers, promotions, and more at ComC, please visit blog.comc.com. You're listening to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute, a podcast where we discuss both the hobby and business sides of collecting. I'm your host, Mike Summer, and I want to help you buy, sell, and trade your way into a collection you'll love. Welcome back to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute. Last weekend, I got to do two of my favorite things, both on the same weekend. First of all, I got to go to two different card shows. I went to one on Friday afternoon, and then we had our own local small monthly show at the shop on Saturday. So two card shows on the same weekend, and I also got to mow for the first time this spring. Mowing is one of the other things that I really enjoy doing. I love doing yard work, gardening, getting out there. Um, getting dirty a little bit, and I uh, got to mow this weekend as well. So it has been a good weekend of cards and mowing for me. So I've I really enjoyed that. I also enjoyed earlier last week to have this conversation that I'm going to show today with Bo, Bo the One Million Cubs guy, as some people know him. He has made a transition from doing cards as a side hustle to doing cards full time. And so we talk a little bit about that transition. We talk about what that has meant for his uh, personal collection and his pursuit of one million cubs. And we, it was just a great conversation. I really enjoy getting a chance to talk with, with Bo. And so I hope you'll enjoy that conversation here in a couple minutes after I tell you about Underdog Collectibles, the online shop run by collectors for collectors. It breaks new product every Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday night. You can check them out at udogcollect.com to see what they're going to be breaking this week. You can also visit them at their brick-and-mortar store in Knoxville, Tennessee, where you can see their full selection of wax, singles, supplies, and all of those types of things. And another service they offer is groups submitting to SGC. So if you break with them and find a, a card you want to have graded by SGC, you can work with them directly to have that submitted for you on your behalf. Check them out at udogcollect.com and tell them Wax Pack Hero sent you. Well, today I want to welcome back to the show for the third time. We've got Bo Thompson, Mr. One Million Cubs himself. That's what we've talked about the first couple times he was on, but that's not going to be our, our main point today. Bo, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Always good to talk to you. Yeah, we finally have some baseball back. You know, the the Cubs, for me anyway, are off to a better start than I expected they might be. So I've been pleasantly surprised so far. It's been an awesome start. And Suzuki has, I saw him out in spring training and he really struggled in his first few at-bats. Of course, he was he was just coming over. So um, it's been been just absolutely awesome to, to see the the uh, early success that he's had and and really all through the lineup a, a lot of the players are are uh, hitting well and and playing a little small ball which I I, I like that um, a Cubs lineup that's not totally built for power and home runs so hopefully hopefully this uh, this trend continues throughout the rest of the season you hit on spring break and that was one of the the first things I wanted to talk about or spring training I mean because it was a break for you 
because since we last talked at the national last summer, you've had, you've had quite a pivot <laughs> when you came down to see me, um, in the fall to pick up, well, 30 to 40,000 Cubs cards. I don't remember exactly what the number was, but it, it was like 43,000, 43,000 cards. You came down to the shop one Saturday and picked those up and you gave me kind of a, a, a hint of what might be coming soon at that point, kept it under wraps. But since we last talked on the show, you've made the, the transition into being a, a card dealer online full-time. And that's one of the things I wanted to talk about as we talk about the combining both the business and hobby sides of collecting um, here, you've made that transition to be more business at this point. So let's, let's spend a few minutes talking about that, if that's okay. Absolutely. It's something that, uh, here we are. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of, of a timeline. I'll, I'll say a year and a half ago, there was, there was no way that I would have anticipated making this transition. You know, maybe even a year ago, it was something that may have started to eke into my, into my brain. Like, Hey, I can, I can do this. The, the pandemic really kind of helped push me to, uh, to this level, um, both in terms of scaling up the business side of, of the hobby, but also really opening my eyes to uh, handling business being self-employed. Uh, and what I, in, in what I mean by that is during COVID, I spent, uh, I worked in transportation for a, a third-party logistics uh, company. And uh, when the pandemic hit uh, pretty early on, I started working from home and, and about half of our office was, was working remotely. And it was something that I kind of dragged my feet on because I didn't think I would have the discipline to work from home because I've got cards all around me when I'm downstairs in the basement. I've, there's too many distractions and I can be a touch ADD when I have too many distractions around me. So I was concerned with that portion of the work from home gig. We have a home office on the, the main level of our house, which was my, my wife's home office. She can kind of bounce around anywhere in the house. Uh, I, I needed to be, because I had a phone that had to be hardwired in, you know, with, with our software. So um, I took over the home office. She eventually, we, we made a home office in the upstairs out of a, a spare bedroom uh, for her uh, as the pandemic forged on. But I learned that I did in fact have the discipline to work from home. And then it was sort of a, a thought process of, but do I have the discipline to, to sell cards? And, and how can I differentiate the hobby aspect and the hobby side of cards as opposed to, okay, this is now my business and in this part is my business. So it was a learning process every step of the way and it continues to be, you know, as now I am full-fledged into it. Now you were ramping up over the course of that period of time too, right? And and that was somewhat a, a proof of concept for you. Um, I, and I know we've talked a little bit before, and I've heard you talk that you know you you got insight from some other important people in your life, you know your wife, some other mentors, and things like that about about what that might look like. I'm wondering as you got started, what kind of goals did you have set for yourself as you made that transition and and stopped working? for, uh, you know, a third party and became, you know, going into cards full time, what kind of goals did you have for yourself as you made that transition? You know, I think initially the, the goal was to 
not necessarily make more money. Um, but my main goal was the company I worked for had an amazing benefits package. Um, so health insurance, dental insurance, even eye insurance was, was part of the plan. Didn't pay a dime for any healthcare. So that was a big, you know, that's, I think that's what really, and I didn't like my job. So, but I think that, that safety net of those benefits really kept me in a place I didn't want to be, um, you know, working a job I didn't want to work. That's what really held me back from, you know, moving on, whether or not it was, you know, going into business for myself, but just not making a leap to do anything other than what I was doing because I had put the time in. So I had that vacation, you know, five, six weeks of vacation built up, great benefits package. So that was number one where I had to look at the numbers very closely, get quotes on, you know, outside healthcare, how much is this going to cost me and my wife? Cause my wife was also, you know, she wasn't paying, you know, we weren't paying a dime for, for anything. So um, that was, that was the biggest hurdle was looking at those numbers. How can this work? The actual, the, the salary was something that, you know, I'm okay early on, not quite making the, the income salary wise that I was making at my, at my job, but it was, can we get all the other, you know, the health insurance, the, you know, all of that was, that was the most important thing um, was, you know, just the, you know, family health. Um, so once I figured, once we got the quotes on that, it's like, hey, this is, this is doable. And then start crunching the numbers based on projections, where I see the, the future of, of card sales and, and what I'm doing. And then, you know, how do I continue to, to grow my inventory and then find efficient ways to list and sell and ship? So you sell primarily on eBay from an online perspective, and then you do the, the shows. You do a couple different shows around um, Northern Illinois and, and Southern Wisconsin. What was the thought process or the decision point around where you were going to sell online? You know, did you consider selling on multiple platforms? Were you pretty confident that eBay was going to be the only place you were going to sell from day one? Talk to me a little bit about the thought process on your decisions around where to sell online and be exclusive to eBay at this point? Much of that was, had already been decided, you know, well before I made the decision to, to do it full time. I, in the past, I have done multiple platforms and I've had varied success um, with, with each platform. Um, I migrated solely to eBay, actually probably five years ago um, as my, my main, main platform. And then uh, what was holding me back on eBay was the, I, I had the, uh, at the time there were three levels of stores and I had the, the intermediate level. Um, but to grow into that next level store, it was like a, it's like 300, $350 a month for the enterprise version, which, um, you know, it takes, a, it takes a lot of listing to get to that point at the time, you know, two years ago when they still had insertion fees. Uh, when the pandemic hit in April of 2020, eBay all of a sudden to your uh, store owners said, you get 50,000 free listings per month. So I was always hovering around 1,000 to 1,200 listings per month, despite having, you know, a huge amount of inventory that I could um, list on eBay. So, you know, that really, you know, kind of helped propel me to, to list um, and, and really focus and drill down on eBay. Again, I mentioned I had a little ADD. So I love the eBay platform because everything is controlled 
within their own, you know, um, within their own CMS. So everything is, is so easy and tracked and, and all of the, uh, a lot of the um, things you can use within their software, uh, many people take for granted, you know, in my sales background, if, if you've worked with uh, platforms like Salesforce, those, that software is super expensive. So, and eBay acts just like some of those um, expensive CRMs. So, uh, I like the, the, the ease of use of, of that. So that's kind of where my focus has, has been the last few years. One of the more unique aspects that I think you have, and, and I've got an appreciation for this too, is your focus on the low end of the market. And I think that while there's oft, an often overlooked segment of our collecting community that still loves to collect at the low end of the market and build collections of base and insert cards that are only worth a few dollars each. Not everybody necessarily appreciates that to begin with, but I think even more so it's pretty rare from what I've seen so far that there are people doing cards full-time that are almost exclusively dealing with cards at the low end of the market. Talk to me a little bit about that. Was that something that you considered as well as do I need to make a, a transition or a pivot from dealing with so many low-end cards and start dealing with more mid and high-end cards if I'm going to do this full-time? Or were you so confident based on the experience you had doing it as a side hustle that you'd be able to, to make a go of it still focused at the, the current market that you're, you're dealing with now? That, that's an awesome, that's a great question because uh, you know that was always something that would go through my mind when the thought crossed my head, when the thought crossed my mind of, you know, am I going to do this full time? Can I really rely on, you know, these small dollar sales? But I was having so much success with with these low dollar sales, and it's you know it's all in, in projections. And okay, if I'm if I'm turning over one percent of my inventory on a thousand listings, I'm you know moving X amount. But if it's five thousand listings, ten thousand listings, and it's all in the numbers. Now you also have to consider it takes some time to pull those cards, ship those cards, and you know, all of a sudden it, it becomes, you know, something where you have to really, you know, <laughs> do I, do I have to hire somebody now to help me ship? But what I, what I came to realize was I can make a go of it and make enough to, you know, uh, make a good living selling low end cards. What I also discovered was, especially during the pandemic, a lot of collectors were coming back in and driving the market up on some of the eighties and nineties cards that, had just sat in people's collections and in, in boxes for you know years and years because they wouldn't move. And all of a sudden there, there's now a market for this. And I've uh, there's been that's actually sustained. And when I would go through these collections and go through these bulk and in, in, in my inventory, I would pull out a Brian Taylor rookie card. And Brian Taylor was, you know, the the Jason Dominguez, the Wander Franco of 1991-92. And it's a card that's like, it brings back for me those fuzzy memories of being a kid and chasing the next hot prospect. And I put one on eBay and it sold. And I was a huge Jim McMahon fan as a, as a Chicago Bears fan growing up. I'd throw some Jim McMahon cards and they would sell and everything seemed to move. And it's still, I sold a 1990 Upper Deck Ben McDonald rookie card overnight. And so these sales are continuing and these are cards that I can get essentially for free. Um, you know, these are cards that people have stuffed away in boxes and they're basically giving them away. I can go buy a bulk collection of 
200,000 cards and pay $100. You know, I'm, you know, paying a fraction of a penny and I'm getting all of this inventory that most people just want to throw away. So it's basically inventory at zero cost. And yes, I'm only making, you know, my net profit on that Ben McDonald might only be 50 cents, but it came at no cost to me. So that's, that's something that I feel like this is definitely sustainable on the, on the low end. The only issue comes when the store is, the eBay store is scaling up and now I have too many items to ship that I'm, I'm finding that difficult um, to, to both list and ship at the same time, which I don't have that issue now, but you know, as I continue to grow, it's, it's going to be an issue that, that arises. That's a, that's a good point that I want to make sure we touch on a little bit too, is, you know, it seem it would seem intuitively the easiest part as you're doing your analysis would be, Hey, if I'm selling this much a month doing it part-time and I spend X amount more, I need inventory to be at this level to be able to sell X amount more. And that should bring me in X amount of revenue. It maybe isn't the first thing you think about of, okay, once I've got this much stuff listed and my store has this much in inventory, what do I, what do I, what kind of system do I need to have in place to find these cards when I've got thousands and thousands and thousands of cards listed to be able to pull it and, and pack it efficiently. And so talk to me a little bit about that learning curve of, you know, what were some of those learnings that, that went kind of just like you thought they would, or maybe some things that you're like, yeah, I didn't think this was going to be quite as big of a deal as I'm ramping up my inventory and selling more and more transactions every day. Always evolving. And in, in, in fact, this, as, as we're talking, I'm, I'm going through a, a, trying to streamline and, and make the, the pulling process more easy by utilizing um, a new uh column, you know, within, within eBay's listings with, which is custom label skew. Uh, so I can locate these cards much faster. So initially when it started, you know, when I was dabbling in eBay here and there, you know, several years ago, I basically had a, a, a one row or two row bot, you know, probably an 800 count box when I first started, that was my eBay inventory. Well, it's really easy to go through a couple hundred cards. Um, and then it, as, as my, I opened a store and the store grew, you know, now I have a baseball box. Well, I've got to streamline it down to, to the year. Um, so I think it started with baseball being pretty sorted um, by, by set, by uh, product, manufacturer by product. Um, and then baseball or football and basketball just kind of all over the place. Um, and then I started to alphabetize. And now I'm looking at this alphabet, alphabetiz, al, alphabetized and I'm seeing that, okay, it's good now with, you know, say I have the last name that starts with A in football and I have a hundred cards. It's okay now, but what happens when I have a thousand cards? A is not good enough. So I broke it down and it's, um, I think A is still on its own, but B, A, B, E, almost like a card catalog in the library. But there's time that goes into sorting these cards because you, there's either sorting on the pre, on, you know, pre-sorting or post-sorting after listing. So there's always that time, you know, to sort. And usually when I buy bulk, you know, I'll, I'll get a five row box or a four row box, whether it's a dollar box or a quarter box. And then I put the inven, you know, put the inventory and I, I list it um, in eBay and it's, it's not sorted whatsoever. Uh, so that's when I started to utilize and I, several people on social media were very helpful and 
led me to that custom label skew. So now it's, now there's no sorting involved. So like today, I'll probably list a hundred baseball cards and it's going to go in its own label. Um, and, you know, custom label is going to be, you know, 0419, you know, dated or, or however it is. And then, you know, under box one. So I know it's in box one, it's under 0419 as the, as the skew. And then there's only, you know, a hundred cards to, to flip through and um, there's no sorting involved whatsoever. So uh, it's just things that, that you learn on the go and, you know, what, what's efficient today may not be efficient tomorrow. And I'm trying to, uh, that's part of it is, you know, yes, I want to be efficient today, but I also, I want to be efficient a year from now. And, and also take into consideration that what if I do have somebody shipping all of my baseball right now is listed by set, which confuses me when it comes to some of these sets, Bowman, Bowman, Chrome. And say you hire somebody for shipping that has no idea, they know how to ship, but they have no idea what cards are all about. How are they going to decipher between a Bowman Chrome and a, a Bowman in a first Bowman and, and all that? So uh, different things that, you know, now as I scale up and, you know, consider the future that there may be somebody involved in this business that's not a card person. And, you know, it's quicker to teach them how to locate a box in a skew, as opposed to give them a full education on what's the difference between Bowman and Tops and Fleer. What would you say, and I know it's going to vary a little bit each day, but what would you say is kind of that breakdown between time you spend listing and time you spend pulling and shipping? It's, it's definitely probably uh, favors the, there's probably more time that goes into the shipping. And I think the main driver is because I've been disorganized. Um, and I think that's what uh, I finally came to the realization within the last week that I've got to make some changes within my inventory management because I'm spending way too much time either sorting or trying to find these cards. Um, so I think, you know, what I've been employing here over the last few days will, will really help me so I can get back to a better balance um, and spend as much time listing cards as I'm spending shipping cards. So right now it, it, it probably, it's been lately uh, favoring more on the uh, uh, shipping side than it has been on the listing side. So I need to get a better balance on that. Now you also do a live daily YouTube show that takes up kind of your, your early morning coffee <laughs> hours. And so how, how does that content creation fit into your overall plan and your overall strategy? You know, is that something that you, you were doing that again, before you went full-time is when, you know, that started, but you've continued it since you've been full-time. Is that just because you enjoy doing it or does that also play like an intentional role in building your business? Uh, a little bit of both, actually. The reason I started that, and I started this, uh, the show hobby evolution during the pandemic, because I was working from home. And most of my work, this was my, my previous employer, was done via email. And, you know, or, you know, if I was talking to coworkers, it was via Google chat and not on the phone. I did, I had very little phone conversation. So, and, and we weren't going out during the pandemic. We weren't socializing. So that was my form of talking. And I have a, a radio background. So, you know, I, I it's like, I need to talk. I, I bought a, a, a microphone and it's like, I just, 
I need to put this to use and at least I can get some thoughts, you know, um, and, and speak and talk. And, and so that's, that's how it started. And I, I, I labeled the show hobby. I named it hobby evolution because my hobby has, has always, the hobby has always evolved and now it's evolved into a business. And I never would have thought episode one in June of 2020 that uh, by episode 500, that it would be, you know, business. I kept it hobby evolution just to keep that flow going. But, uh, uh, you know, the, the hobby for me evolved from, from childhood through adulthood and then all the way into uh, turning in, into a business in October of, of 2021. So I, I do it for just, and, and now I'm working, you know, at home for myself. I don't have coworkers. So, um, so now it's just, it's a good way to, and I've built a, a, a loyal audience that, that chats with me. Um, so it's, it's almost like, it's almost like going to the cafe in the morning or where I grew up in a small town in Illinois. Uh, you go to the, the gas station and there's four or five farmers drinking their coffee. And that was their, that was how they socialized. And, and for me in, in this day and age, uh, the 21st century, it's, uh, it's getting online and talking on YouTube, I guess. It seems like your audience is continuing to grow. It seems like, especially over the last few months, if I'm not mistaken, just from my own observations, it seems like those subscriber counts have, have really started to, to tick up over these last couple months. So it's, it's fun to see, you know, daily consistently, you know, it's not necessarily seven days a week, but it's probably what, at least five to six days a week that you're, you're putting out a show and, and you've got an, a, a growing follower, follower base. Have you had many people come to watch the show or, or listen to the show and, be, and and that's the first exposure that they'd had to you and then become customers of yours online? Yes, uh, and it, it happens quite frequently, which is which is really awesome. So it, it's definitely been uh, something that's that's helped with both customers from eBay. They'll see my eBay name so that and my eBay name is 1 million cubs. So they see that and they're like, that's interesting. I'll put like a business card, you know, with my website, they'll, they'll check that out. They'll find my YouTube channel. And all of a sudden they'll go from being an eBay customer to a, to a viewer on my YouTube channel and, and vice versa. People will see me on Twitter, click on the link, uh, jump in. They'll hear me talk about the eBay store, the, just the tips on, on eBay and become a, a customer that way. So it's, it's a nice little synergy that, uh, that it's been helpful on, on both sides of the spectrum. You call it the hobby evolution. And you, you mentioned that the hobby has evolved for you over these last several years. Where does the, the hobby side or your own personal collection, where does that, how has that been impacted by this move to, to doing cards full-time? Well, that part is not as fun anymore because I don't have the money to devote to to my Cubs collection. Um, I still, you know, the, the 1 million Cubs project is still ongoing and, and I'm approaching 800,000 Cubs cards now. Whereas in 2020 when, or 2021, when card shows started popping up and I'm doing eBay as a side hustle, I have a lot more um, disposable income from my card sales that I could go to card shows in the national and, and just buy whatever Cubs cards I wanted. And then as, as I started making that transition, um, you know, you had to tighten the purse strings and I don't get to have that much fun. And so now I'm, I'm really, and I've always been a bargain shopper digging through bargain boxes. Uh, but now it's, it's to an all new level where 
Um, you know, if I say I want to spend a hundred dollars on, on cards at the show, I'm looking for what type of 25 cent dollar cards can I flip on eBay? I'm looking more as an inventory aspect. Uh, if I find, you know, I did find one of my dealers that sets up regularly at my card show has some great vintage. I uh, picked up a, a Phil Cavaretta 19, can't remember what year, uh, but an, an oddball uh, vintage Phil Cavaretta card for like eight bucks. Uh, so it was, it was something that when I look to buy Cubs now, um, I'm looking for pre-war and, and vintage. So it, it satisfied that, but it also satisfied it was under 10 bucks. So, um, you know, even though I have to watch every dollar I spend, I felt that, you know, I did well enough as a seller at the show. And then with the inventory I bought, I could, I, I felt okay spending eight bucks on a, on a vintage Phil Cavaretta. I think that's important to, to note because when I first started even selling as a side hustle, one of the local dealers, that was one of the first things he told me was, Hey, when you start trying to do cards for profit, you've got to be careful about getting high on your own supply. And you got to be careful about getting these collections and then keeping so many of the, the nice cards for yourself that you don't have enough to sell to be profitable anymore. And so while you might be having a nice collection, you're, you're not going to make any money if you're keeping too many of these for yourself. That's one of the things I appreciate about still doing it as a side hustle is I'm able to balance that and still be able to, to siphon off a few of those pickups for myself but still keep enough out there for the shop inventory or my online inventory to be able to, to make a profit. But I also am not doing it as, as my primary source of income like you are. And so that's, I'm glad that that's one of the things that you have picked up on too, or that whether that was advice you were given or whether you realize that for yourself, I think that can be one of the most challenging things for people who are making that move from being kind of a side deal into a, a full-time deal. And I think it's important for collectors when they're doing that is some don't really have a narrowed collection where uh, there's a lot of people within the hobby. And, and I've, I've done this, you know, before my Cubs project, I just pick up cards, random cards. I didn't really have a, a, a vision of what my collection, what type of a card collection I wanted to have. So I think that that hurts a lot of people that want to do something, you know, full-time in, in cards because they like every card and they just want to own every card and that prevents them from, from selling. So having a, a, you know, whether it's a niche collection or, you know, a, a definitely a narrowed focus really helped um, in my case really helped me. Um, you know, I collect cubs, but then you also have to have the discipline to, to not overspend, like you mentioned. As, as you think about, you know, you've made this transition over the last six months or so, right? If there are other people who are out there thinking about doing something like this, what would be a couple pieces of advice or words of wisdom that you would have for them that maybe aren't the, the most obvious first things that come to mind? What are some things that you would want to make sure they spend some time thinking about before making this move? I think number one is be prepared to work a ton of hours. Um, you know, you'll probably work twice as many hours as, you know, a, a job you're doing full-time now. And, you know, early on, you probably won't, you know, make that income back. It's, you know, you're going to have to work on it. Um, and I, I would also add that uh, 
take the things that are the least enjoyable about cards and especially selling. And I'm talking about sorting and shipping. Um, shipping is my, is like the bane of, of, for me, I, I dislike it, but I also like, like, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of almost where some people say sorting cards is therapy to me, shipping, pulling cards and shipping is, is a therapy. Now, when I have 200 items to, to get shipped out a, a big sales weekend, then it's kind of, then it gets tedious after a while, but to sit down, especially in the morning, uh, have a cup of coffee and, and I turn on, you know, your podcast, other content creators, and I listen for a couple hours and I'm shipping and it's, you know, it's, it's almost there. It, it probably is therapeutic. So if that's something, if, if there's any part of the sales process that you're doing that it's like, oh man, I, I couldn't do that. Or being at home all day long. I mean, that some people can't handle just sitting at a computer desk and whether it's a, a task like shipping cards or listing cards, sitting database entry. I mean, you know, I use the, the eBay file exchange using a spreadsheet. I have a spreadsheet open, you know, three, four hours a day. Some people can't, you know, can't handle that. So there's a lot of, you know, little tedious things that, that are, are a part of selling cards full time that uh, it's, you know, it's, it's not all, it's not going out and buying collections and, and looking at nice cards and making a lot of money. Um, there's, it's, you know, with anything, um, no matter what you're doing, um, there's always going to be work involved, but I enjoyed, I've, it's been six months in for me. I still love it. Um, I'm having a good time. And uh, so those would be some of the things. And I would definitely also advise uh, do it as a side hustle and like commit yourself, really commit yourself to treating it as a business and not a side hustle. I mean, look at every penny you're spending um, on envelopes, on postage, on the cards themselves, on the inventory um, and do it as a side hustle, but treat it as a business and, and project out. And, you know, I actually did that in 2016 or 2017, where my, my focus was ripping and flipping boxes and cases. And my margins were just razor thin. Um, I couldn't believe it until I started tracking those things. How much am I spending on supplies? How much time am I spending? How much money am I putting into these cases? And then how much am I making? And uh, it, was a, it was a tough lesson. But it was a lesson I learned doing it as a, doing it on the side and, and realizing, okay, if I do want to sell cards full time, this ain't the way. Um, and, and so you have to, to pivot. And, and this time around, I actually didn't, you know, in 2016, 2017, it was something that I wanted, you know, I actively pursued for a few months. Can I make this work? And I couldn't. So went, you know, just continued doing my job. This time around, it was it was my side hustle and I scaled up and, and realized that, okay, I, I found, I found the path that can work for me. And, and sometimes it's, it's a little trial, trial and error, but definitely practice uh, before doing, taking any giant steps. How has that transition been for your wife? Were there things that, that she's now brought up that, you know, she wasn't necessarily thinking about as you guys were talking about it, you know, last, last summer or last fall, 
Um, I was just kind of curious, you know, is there, has that impacted her perception of this whole thing, you know, over these last few months? I think from the, can I make it work? I think, I think probably two years ago, she was probably uh, saying the same things I was saying, like, there's no way in, no way you can do this. But then as she started seeing, you know, some of the results during uh, 2020 and 2021, the the sales and, and the numbers, then, you know, and there were a few occasions where she's like, maybe you should do this full time. You know, she knew that I was in a position um, that I wasn't enjoying and it did have an effect on my my day to day life. You know, I'd come home and just, you know, after eight, nine hours of, of dealing with crap at, at the office and then you know, come home, you're, you know, kind of in a down mood. So um, she's been super helpful on the business side because she's in real estate, she's self-employed. Um, so she's set up things, you know, on the, on the business side with here's how you should track things, um, which I, you know, I would have been, you know, drowning without her help because I, you know, it's just, you know, something I've never done, but she has a lot of experience. And so, um, she's been great to lean on and uh, in, in helping me with, you know, a lot of the, the, the business stuff that I really don't like, the, the paperwork and the tracking and the accounting and, and, and all that stuff. So, um, you know, she's been really helpful in that regard. Well, hey, I really appreciate you spending a few minutes today. I, I think these are some great things for people to be thinking about. It's great to hear about how that transition has gone for you. Before we go, I want to make sure you get a chance. You've you've mentioned them a couple times throughout the conversation today, but if people want to see what you've got for sale, if people want to follow along with what you're um, with what you're doing and what you're cranking out from a content perspective, where can people find you online? Uh, my hub is uh, one million cubs.com. Uh, unfortunately, I haven't been blogging um, lately, but that will the website one million cubs.com will will take you in in all the directions of my content whether it be my youtube channel uh my facebook page my twitter account uh and my ebay store link uh can all be found one million cubs.com so if you just go to that link um you can find the the different links to my other social media platforms very cool well thanks again uh it's always good to get the midwest bureau uh back together for another <laughs> episode like the athletes we admire, the sports card shop is changing the game. We're not launching threes, bombing drives, or hitting dingers, but we have built a unique gathering spot for all collectors to trade cards, talk sports, play games, and watch their favorite athletes on the big screens. Yes, we've partnered with Panini, Upper Deck, Leaf, Tops, Fanatics, Pokemon, and others to bring you all the latest in sealed wax and singles. But the sports card shop in New Buffalo, Michigan is much, much more. Our recent expansion brings collectible sneakers, Hot Wheels, and more sports and entertainment memorabilia into the mix. Our new Collector's Cave game room is the perfect place to throw a rip party, bring friends, rip packs, trade cards, play billiards, ping pong, shuffleboard, classic arcade, and Xbox games, all while watching your favorite sport on TV. Visit us at thesportscardshop.com. Follow us on social at underscore sportscardshop or better yet, visit us in person to learn about special events, party packages, new products, and everything we're doing for you. The Sports Card Shop, connecting people, sports, and the hobby around the world. 
Thanks again to Bo for coming on and spending a few minutes talking about his transition into doing cards full-time. He also had a great conversation, or a couple conversations actually, with Ty on the Breaker Culture Network, and I would recommend you go find that as well if you want to hear more about his journey and even some of the, the more tactics that he uses to sell on eBay. It was a great conversation that they had. Well, I want to know what you think about this conversation and what questions did it bring to your mind? Reach out to me on Twitter at TheMikeSummer. Send me an email at WaxPackHero at gmail.com and reach out on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok at WaxPackHero as well. I want to know what you thought about the show and what questions you've got as you think through that process of selling cards full time. I'd also appreciate it if you left a rating and review on your podcast app of choice. Helps other people find the show and gives me some valuable feedback so I can keep improving this, this show. Thanks again for tuning in. That's all I've got for you today, and I'll catch you next time.